0: We are in the Unstoppable God series. How many of you guys have been enjoying the series so far? Right? Has it been good? Yes? So um, the Unstoppable God series, last week we looked at the Unstoppable family, and this week um, you can go ahead and get out your notes. If you came in, they should have been inside of your worship guide. Um, so pull out those sermon notes. We're going to get ready to go through those. Um, and as you're pulling those out, today we're going to look at uh, the Unstoppable follower is what we're focusing on today, the Unstoppable follower. Um, it was not my intention for it to be this way, but someone at the 10 o'clock service said, thank you for stepping on my toes. So uh, if you have toes exposed, they may get stepped on in this particular sermon. I'm warning you now. So, um, But it was a good sermon. It's a good service, and we're excited that you guys are here with us. Matthew 17, we're going to spend our, our, um, our primary verse today, or the overview verses in Matthew 17, but we're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 8. And so go ahead and turn to that. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that. If you have an iPhone, you can scroll to that. If you have an iPad, you can swipe to that. If you have an Android, you can take it to Verizon and you can switch it out for something. I'm just kidding. Uh, Totally joking. I know some of you are diehard Androiders. Anyway, so Matthew 17, 18 through 20 says this And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Now, when I put that in there so you could have context as to what Jesus was going to say here, because this right here is where it gets important for today. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus responded to them by saying, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing. Everyone say nothing. nothing. That was terrible. Everyone say nothing. There you go. You're all awake now. Nothing will be impossible for you, right? I know some of you already ate lunch, and so you're, you know, in carb coma, but that's okay. Just stay with us. (laughs) Nothing will be impossible for you. And so the thing is, what we want to start out looking at today is that we want to be an unstoppable follower. And so our desire in our life should be committed to being a follower, not a fan of Jesus. In your notes, that our goal in life today should be, being a follower and not a fan of Jesus. So let's break that down just for a second, the difference between a follower and a fan, because what we're going to look at today is in Matthew 8, is we're going to look at a large portion of somewhat of an ongoing conversation between Jesus and the disciples, right? So the disciples are following Jesus, they're witnessing him doing miracles, he's healing people. He's doing all these things, and the disciples are observing this, but while they're observing this, Jesus is teaching them things along the way. So Matthew 8 is a good text that we can paraphrase so many different things that Jesus is trying to teach us, and we're going to look at some of that today. But before we get into it, let's look at a fan, right? So the difference between a follower and a fan. Well, a fan is an enthusiastic devotee, uh, usually as a spectator. And so we, in our relationship with Christ, need to find ourselves to where we are not just a fan, right? We don't want to be just a spectators of the gospel. We want to be participators in the gospel, right? Okay, I oh, was just making sure we need to change the message or what, you know. Right? Turn to John 3.16. No, I'm just kidding. Like, so, <laughs> but we want to be, uh, we don't want to be spectators. We want to be participators in the gospel. So as a fan, right? We're observing what Jesus is accomplishing, but check out the definition of follower. You can write that down in your notes. A person who imitates, copies, or takes as a model or ideal. A person who follows another in regard to his or her ideas or belief. And then this part is my favorite part. This is actually in the definition of follower, a disciple, which that's my favorite, right? That our goal in life, our desire for our spiritual life is that we no longer just observe, but we actually participate to the degree that we become a disciple of Jesus. So we're no longer just a fan. We're no longer someone that just enjoys the idea of Christ, but we're literally someone who follows Christ. And so in our life, we have to understand the difference between a fan and a follower. And so the unstoppable follower, there's one concept that you have to grasp. And if you grasp this concept, if you don't grasp this concept, none of the rest of this becomes applicable to you. And so the one idea that you need to grasp is that before you can move on to any portion of being the unstoppable follower, being someone that can't be, but so passionately pursues Christ that you maintain power, is this, that we have to be plugged into the power of God on your notes. We have to be plugged into the power of God. And so here's, here's the example that I'd like to give to you. If I pulled out my PenAir Credit Union debit card right now and I was going to give it to somebody and say, hey, you can go buy whatever you want with it, who would take me up on that offer, right? Yeah, I, all the ladies are like, mm. Right? Right? How many guys, when I, now, what if I told you that ain't a whole lot on that bad boy? Right. 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 You can swipe all you want. That don't mean it's running. So. Right. But what if I was up here? I had like Bill Gates or Oprah's debit card. Right. Run that bad boy. You know what I'm saying? All day long. So the idea is this. The reason I wanted to explain that to you is this, that we cannot be Christians that look the same as those that hold power we actually have to be plugged into the source. What I mean by that is this. If I give you a debit card, but it's not hooked up to a bank account, or if that bank account doesn't have anything in it, then it's meaningless. Now, it may look the same as the one that's got the money in it, and it may look, it may have the same labels, it may have the same badges, it may have the same everything that makes it look like it still has power, like it's still connected to the source, but it's not. And the thing is, is we as Christians, only, if we're only fans, we look like we have power, but we're not plugged into the source, that supplies it. But we, as followers, have to be plugged into the source of power, which is God. And so we cannot just be a spectator of the gospel, but we have to walk in the gospel. All right? So we have to be plugged into the power of God, the source. And so as we're plugged into the power of God, it gives us three things that we want to look at today. The first one is that it gives us Christ like faith, it gives us Christ like. Faith. And so again, in Matthew 8, where we're at, we're looking at different conversations that Jesus is going to have with people and Jesus is going to have with the disciples to help us get a better understanding of what it means to walk with him and what it means to maintain that. So Matthew 8, 2 through 3 says this. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And so, again, and we're gonna do a lot of like comparisons of like the English Standard Version to the BLV, which is the Brad Livingston version of the Bible, right? So, we're gonna bring, yeah, if y'all been here a while, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I like to have fun when I read my Bible, man. So, the guy comes to Jesus, like, Jesus, can you heal me? And Jesus, is like, be serious, man, boom, you know? So, like, he heals the guy. And so, when they're walking, Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy, right? And so shortly after that, talking about Christ-like faith, shortly after that, a cent- the centurion comes to Jesus. And so when he comes to Jesus, he says, "Can you, I have a servant who's sick. Can you heal him? Right? And Jesus is like, sure, where is he? I'll go to him. And the centurion says, no, I don't, you're, I'm not worthy to have you in my home, is what he tells Jesus. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. If you'll just speak the word, then I know he'll be healed. And so Jesus, in response to that, says this, Matthew 8, 10, on your notes. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The guy's like, I don't need you. You don't even have to come to my house. Matter of fact, I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. Just speak the word of healing and I know he'll be healed. And so, again, BLV, right? So, this is what happens. Jesus is sitting with the disciples. He says, it says that he turned to those that were following him, right? So, he's turning to his disciples. He's turning to those that are kind of more or less with him on this journey. And Jesus kind of like sells out for a minute to the disciples. Like, okay, so this is how I picture it in my head. You can wrap your head around however you want. But he looks at, at the disciples like, see, this is how you're supposed to believe. Like that stuff you were doing with that guy over there, you couldn't cast out the demon. You guys are garbage. You need to be stepping your game up to like this dude right here. That, anyway, that's how I read my Bible. I don't know what you guys are doing. But, so he's, he looks at him and he's like, I've never seen anyone in Israel with such great faith. More or less like, including y'all. Step it up, right? And so he goes on to, t- to heal the man by speaking the word into existence. The second thing we have to have is Christ-like discipline, Christ-like discipline. And so looking at Matthew 8, 18 through 22, it's better described in Luke nine fifty six through 62, which is what's in your notes. And so we're going to read that now. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Notice that word follow. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. Jesus speaks to another one. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to them, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so there's an, an idea that we want to embrace here, but to fully understand the context of what Jesus was saying, because a lot of people use that scripture, but they don't put it into context for why he was speaking that way. Why was Jesus saying that to his disciples? If you go back to verse 51, which is not in your notes, but you can write down the reference. Luke 9:51 says this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And some translation says it's, he set his face for Jerusalem. And obviously, we know what happened when he got to Jerusalem, right? That he gets turned over to the Gentiles, prophecies fulfilled, and he ends up setting atonement for all for the sin, you know, of the world essentially. And so, what happens? As the time approached, he sets his sights for Jerusalem. And so what he's saying there is when he, gets, when he gets to Jerusalem, when he sends the disciples into Jerusalem, they get there, everyone turns them away. Like no one wants anything to do with them. They're like, nah, <laughs> we've heard about Jesus. Like they're, they're out for him right now. So we don't want any part of this. So they turn him away. And so when Jesus is referring to the disciples and they're saying, I'll follow you, Jesus is trying to in advance tell them what's about to take place saying it's going to cost you something. So check this out. The two things, or better yet, more than one thing is going on here in each of these encounters. To see that that clearly, we look at verse 51. And so Jesus in totality is saying two things when he says, follow me. first of all, he's saying, follow me. And if you're writing notes, if you're taking notes, write follow with lowercase letters and in big capital letters, write me. He's saying, follow me. Now what what he's saying is, I want you to follow the person of Christ. I want you to pursue after the man that died on the cross for your sins. Essentially now today, translating today, I want you to follow the person of Christ. I want you to follow the creator of the universe. I want you to follow the son of God. I want you to pursue after his righteousness. I want you to pursue after his character. I want you to pursue after his spiritual life. I want you to pursue after Christ. But then he's also saying, Follow me. And right underneath that, write follow me again, but this time, write follow in big capital letters and me in lowercase letters. And the reason you're doing that is because Jesus was not only saying, I want you to follow the person of Christ, Jesus was saying, I want you to embrace the journey of Christ. Because so many people in churches today have embraced the idea of Christianity without embracing Christianity. So we like the idea of the benefits of having Jesus, but we are not willing to walk out the journey that it takes to become like him. And so when Jesus is saying, follow me, he's not just saying, follow the person of Christ. He's not saying just strive to be like me. He's saying, no, no, no. I want you to go on this journey that is gonna require sacrifice. And that's what he was telling the disciples. You don't have anywhere to lay your head. You're not gonna be able to go back. You're not gonna be able to change your mind. What he's saying is, it's not just enough to pursue me but I want you to pursue the journey with me. And so he's saying, follow me. So the path to Jesus requires us to recognize that Jesus is responding the way he did through the followers saying, there's not gonna be a place to lay your head of the dead bury the dead. You can't put your hand in the plow and go back. What is he doing? He's saying two things. Number one, first off, he's saying that Jesus is offering himself as our fellowship. He's offering himself as our friendship and our partner in the mission and in the calling of God in our life. But in addition to that, he's also giving himself to us as the creator of the universe, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, and the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, the one who is formed everlasting and everlasting, born of a virgin, holy one of God, perfect in life, triumphant over sin, and death and hell, and all the demons you'll ever meet, he's saying, that person is saying, I want to take you on a journey with me. And so many times in life, man, and so many times and when we get into struggles and so many times we get into pain, we're pursuing after the person of Christ. So we're trying to become like Christ, but we're forgetting that he actually wants to endure the journey with us. I thought how many of you guys have ever heard the, the poem, The Footprints poem, right? Like, well, yeah, we walked together until I saw one set of footprints and I didn't know what happened. Why did you leave me? He's like, then that I carried you. You guys remember that, right? The reality is life is not like that. There's just one set of footprints all the time because he's always carrying you. Right? Like, anytime you think you're about to walk on your own, you're just fixing to walk down some sinful aisle. Because we always need him to carry us. But the idea is Jesus is genuinely celebrating the embrace of the relationship between himself and you. He's ready for that. He's seeking that out of the person of Christ. But then secondly, he's doing it to test you. Why is he doing it to test you? Because he wants to know if he himself is really enough for you. What I mean by that is this. A lot of times people come into churches or throughout wherever, and they get caught into an emotional roar where they make a decision after Christ without committing to the journey of Christ. And they spend years struggling trying to maintain something that they never really had in the first place. And so we're sitting here like, I don't know why, you know, the backsliding or whatever, like, oh, don't know Jesus. All right, now I'm with Jesus. No, I don't know Jesus. It's like, no, you committed to the idea of the person, but you never committed to the journey. Because the journey is not always easy. And what do we do as soon as it gets hard? Huh, church? Friends, what do we do, right? First thing we do as soon as it gets hard, it's like we go back to what we know. And what Jesus wants to know is on the journey, Am I going to be enough that you don't have to go find fulfillment in somewhere else or someone else? Are you going to stand with me on this journey? And so that's what he's speaking to us when he says that it requires discipline. We have to have Christ-like discipline, knowing that Jesus is enough in our times of struggle, our times of need. And then the third thing is we have to have Christ-like peace. Christ-like peace. So Matthew 8. 26 through 27. So let me give you an idea of where we are in the context of this verse. And so what happens is Jesus, again, is with the disciples. He's walking around. He's doing all this crazy stuff. He's healing people and amazing things are happening. He's walking into houses and people are sick and he's just like, boom, you're healed. All this cool stuff is happening, right? He goes down. He's exhausted, right? I can imagine he's done so many miracles. He wants to take a nap. He goes, he gets on the boat, goes straight downstairs. And what happens? He goes to sleep. And after he goes to sleep on the boat, they go out into the water. The storm kicks up, the winds are blowing, the seas are roaring, and Jesus is knocked out, right? And the disciples do what so many of us do, right? They freak out. We're all going to die. I mean, seriously, that's, that's where they are in this moment, in this context. They think they're all going to die. It's over with, right? Meanwhile, mind you, the same storm that the disciples are convinced they're going to die in, Jesus is sleeping through. Put that in your life and remember it. doesn't matter what you encounter, the storms that you think you're going to die in, Jesus is willing to sleep through. It's not a big deal. Anyways, moving on. So Jesus, and again, BLV translation, I can imagine Jesus is sleeping, right? And Jesus was a man, you know? So they come down, Jesus, wake up! Jesus is like, man, what? Right? Like, we're all fixing to die. Jesus is like, really, bro, come on. So he gets up, right? Half awake, walks upstairs. Because I don't, I don't think Jesus, he was a man, right? So I don't think Jesus hopped out of bed like, bam, I'm here. Like, I think he took a few minutes to get going, right? So he needed some Hebrews coffee or whatever. Like, just, yeah. So I think he, he's getting up out from his nap, much like most of us do, like, wandering around the room, you know, like, Where, what's going? And the disciples are freaking out. We're all going to die. So he goes up to the top. What does he do? He speaks to the storm. And check this out. Uh, in, in Matthew eight twenty six twenty seven, 27, he replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And again, like, all right, so this is in my mind. You can read your Bible however you want. In my mind, Jesus gets up, already kind of half groggy, like, oh, man. So he goes up. He's like, peace, be still. And the whole storm stops, right? He's like, deuces, I'm going back to bed. And he goes back downstairs, like. That's just how I read my Bible. So he just goes back downstairs and he knocks back out, right? And the whole idea is this, that oftentimes we in our life are convinced that everything around us is terrible and Jesus is not around. We can't find him. In fact, he's so not concerned with our storm of life that he's resting in it. And the thing is, is if we're going to have Christ-like peace, that we have to be able to rest in our storm, even when it's complete madness. As a matter of fact, Jesus is not the only person to ever walk on water right? Because Peter did. But here's the idea. So Peter walks out into, Peter's on the boat, right? Jesus is like, hey, it's me. And Peter's like, nah, wait, is it you? If it's you, tell me to come out there. Jesus says, you know, come on, bro. I mean, I don't know if that's the actual translation, but that's what I read it. So so he walks out on the water. Peter steps out on the water, right? When he steps out onto the water, he's walking on water, And this is where so many of us find ourselves. Because when we get into storms of life and we get into situations, we are confident in the boat, right? We're confident in the security of God. We're confident in the church walls. We have a lot of faith here, but then we got to go out. So as we step out, initially we're like, no, I believe God's going to take care of this. But as the winds blow and as the waters rage, we take our eyes off of what we're pursuing and we become consumed with what's around us and we lose focus and we start to sink in our storm instead of walking and resting on top of it. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm guilty of it just this week, you know, for whatever reason, man, the, it was like, I think it was a combination of the enemy and just my own personal mind but the, the miracle that we're praying for in our family, man, he just overwhelmed me with doubt. And it was, it was very hard to walk on the water and maintain complete peace when the storm is raging around us. When we're getting phone calls saying that, you know, you need to come in. We don't know how much longer he has left, blah, 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 blah. And so the storm is raging, but we got to keep walking and maintain That peace, that faith, that no matter what happens, he can still speak to the storm. Because here's the reality, church. This is my, one of my favorite parts about this verse. Put it back up there, guys. Uh, in Matthew 8, 26 and 27, at the very end, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Because here is the reality about life, right? And that is this, that the people that you work with, the people that you live around, all the people that you tell, hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, I believe in Jesus. Hey, he, he controls my life. I love him. All those things, those are the people that are waiting for the storms to hit your life. Right? Not so they can laugh and point fingers. You know, they're not, ha! That's not, they're waiting for the storms to hit your life because they want to know if you're going to cling to that same rock then that you're talking about. Right? When you're rolling an Escalade and you got a nice house and everything's well, don't tell me how good Jesus is. Everything's fine in your life. They want to know how you're going to cling to Jesus when everything's going wrong. They want to know how you're going to follow Jesus when everything's hurting. When your world is falling apart now, let's see how you do now. And the reality is this, that when you can walk out in the storm, stand on the wave and proclaim Jesus and hold to that rock, even when the winds are blowing around you, the people that aren't convinced yet that he is God, the people that aren't convinced yet that he's real in your life, those are the ones that are going to be amazed and asked, man, what kind of God is this? That even you maintain joy. Even you maintain strength. Even you maintain peace, even in the midst of your trial. Even when you're getting your pink slip, even when you're getting your eviction notice, even when you don't have a solution for your problems, you're maintaining and holding on to Christ. And when you hold on to Jesus, they're going to reflect on everything that you said before and know that he's God. But we have to maintain Christ-like peace. Peace. And so the next point that we're going to hang out with just for just a few minutes is that followers of Christ, the next thing on your notes, followers of Christ produce the fruit of his spirit. So we have to be plugged into the power. And when we're plugged into the power, it produces Christ like faith. It produces Christ like discipline. And it produces Christ like peace in our life that we constantly have to exercise and constantly have to allow God to strengthen within us. But in doing so, when we plug into the power, when we maintain these three things, then in that, these are developed. So the followers of Christ produce the fruit of his spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And how many of y'all say, man, I'm good for about two of those? You know what I'm saying? Right? Spirit is love. Well, I love most of y'all. I'm just kidding. Right? How many of y'all honestly say, like, all right, man, I just don't like people that much. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Right? <laughs> I just don't really like people that much. Man, y'all need some love, man. Joy. How many of you guys know, like, we need joy in our lives? And people come to you all the time, they're like, oh, man, I have joy. I'm happy. I'm like, man, but you need to understand the difference between happiness and joy. Because happiness is contingent upon situations, but joy is everlasting. People have been coming up to us a lot through this journey. Like, man, how are you staying so positive? How are you smiling? And it's not that every day is a good day. But the thing is this. When you have the spirit of God living inside of you, even the news, like what we're going through as a family, and if you're new here, you're a first-time guest, my son was diagnosed with a fatal uh, disease, Who are believing God to heal him supernaturally. Um, But how many guys know that something like that will wreck your world? And so people are coming to us like, how are you holding on to joy? How do you have joy? Well, the thing is, is God's still God. And God's still good. And he's still sovereign. And it's not that he couldn't prevent this. It's that for whatever reason, he allowed this. So as much as it hurts, I trust him. Right? And so my... Happiness may be contingent upon my situation, but my joy is everlasting because it comes from him. Peace. We just talked about peace, right? We have peace. patience. Some of y'all need patience, man. I'm just going to tell you flat out, right? Some of y'all, if your water cup is empty for like 10 seconds at the restaurant, you're freaking out. Where is the waitress at? I don't know what's going on. Calm down. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that as we embrace the ideas of Christ, we become more like Christ, and those fruits of the Spirit take root, take hold of our life. Galatians, talking about self-control, Galatians five sixteen says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so here's, a, a, in case you've been living under a rock and you don't know this, we've had a red cup controversy lately on social media. anybody's you guys caught that? Seriously? All right. Well, Google Red Cup, and you'll figure it out. But so there's this craziness going on with Red Cups and Starbucks and all this other stuff right now on social media and in the news and all that jazz. And so one of the things, and I'm not addressing the Red Cup controversy at all, but (laughs) I'm using it to talk about a conversation that I had, right? So a friend of mine on social media gets on social media, and she says, I'm a Christian, and I don't think the Red Cup thing is a big deal. And so my concern was not that she thought or didn't think it was a big deal. My concern was the first part, I'm a Christian, right? Because I saw what she posted about an hour before that. You feel me? And I was like, So I don't have to say anything. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I was like, uh, see, that picture of you messed up in the club from last weekend does not testify to the fruit that you're claiming that you have right now. And so I private messenger, because I didn't do it in public. Don't If you're going to correct someone, don't do it publicly. Just, it's, it's not worth it. So <laughs> I private messenger, and I was like, hey, I see that you say you're a Christian. Can you help me identify like, the fruit in your life that would point to that. She was like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, here's the thing. Um, You say you're a Christian, but your life doesn't show that you're a Christian. So could you do me a favor and either get in the game or take the jersey off? (laughs) Like, I was like... Because, and then, uh, if some of y'all may have saw it, if you're on social media and you follow me, you probably saw it. I, like, gave a list of things why the Red Cup thing is ridiculous. And the fifth reason that I gave on that was uh, I pretty much said, hey, look, there's, there's nothing works to both believers and non-believers. If you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian in this building right now, you'll still admit that this is the truth. That nothing is, how many guys played sports before? Anyone ever played sports? Right? How many guys know what I'm talking about when I say the person that never took off their warm-ups? on the other team, right? Someone that never took off the warm-ups, they never played in the game, but they talked the most smack, right? And it's like, bro, you have never touched a ball in your life. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? There's nothing worse than someone talking the most smack, wearing the jersey, but never playing in the game, right? And I pretty much told her, I said, hey, listen, either get in the game or take the jersey off. But stop speaking on behalf of the rest of us if you're not like the rest of us. I'm not judging. I'm not trying to, you know, if that's, if, however you want to live your life is fine. But don't speak on behalf of all Christians if you're not even saved. And before you start with that whole, like, well, you shouldn't be judging people's stuff. Let me break that down for you real quick. We are not to judge the non-believers, but we are by all means supposed to judge believers and hold them to a standard of accountability in their life. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> we, we're not supposed to judge non-believers. Hey, you know, you can't clean a fish before you catch it, friends. You know what I mean? Like, let, they're going to live their life how they're going to live their life. But if you're going to say you're a Christian, I'm going to hold you to that standard, right? And we have got to start holding people that confess Christianity to a standard and not, well, you know, don't judge them. Let them know we need to talk about the life that you're living because either you wear the jersey or take it off. We don't keep saying you're playing for my team. And I keep passing you the ball, and you keep dropping it. Anyways, we're going to move on, because I could see some of y'all's faces like, I, uh, I don't know. Uh. <laughs> and so this last scripture, John 15, 16, says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Everyone say fruit. 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 And that your fruit fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so here's the idea, right? That Jesus comes in, and when Jesus comes in, he says that you did not choose me, but I chose you. What he means by that is this, is that he came to you when you were in your pit. How many guys recognize that there was a day in your life you didn't know Jesus, and quite frankly, you weren't even necessarily looking for Jesus, and he revealed himself to you in such a way that you could not resist the grace that was now so abundant to you, right? And so what happens is God steps in. And he says, this is the life that you can have because grace is available to you because of what my son accomplished on the cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died so that God could, in a moment in time, pick you where you were, wherever you were, whether you were in the club, whether you were in your house, whether you were in a pit, whether you were in a crack house, doesn't matter. God would choose you in that moment and reveal himself to you in such a way that you could not even resist the grace available. This is what Jesus did. Come to me. It's like Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul's just riding his horse, persecuting Christians, killing people, you know, whatever. Riding his horse, and Jesus is like, wha-pow! Knocks him off his horse, blinds him for three days. Jesus revealed himself to him in such a way he cannot resist grace. And in our life, God is saying, I'm choosing you where you are to reveal to you the grace available so that you would follow me on this journey. But I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That our, our fruit should represent Christ and should abide in him. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the idea behind the unstoppable follower is that we follow Jesus. Number one, we follow the person of Jesus. But then we follow and walk the journey of Jesus. Is it easy? Not always. Is it good? Always. Because he's good, he's sovereign. And so we follow the person of Christ. We walk the journey of Christ. And in walking the journey of Christ, we maintain the power of Christ, which gives us Christ-like faith. It requires Christ-like discipline. Our lives. Jesus shouldn't take over your life and you not look any differently or act any differently. That Jesus should change you because the sin in our life is going this way and Jesus is going this way. And guess what, guys? You can't go both ways. You got to pick one and commit to that. So the person of Christ, the journey of Christ, gives you faith, Christ like discipline, Christ like peace be able to walk into the storms of life. Are they going to come? You bet they're going to come. Blessings are not exempt from trouble. We're going to experience tough times in our life. Things are going to come against us. What are we going to hold on to? Is it going to be the rock that doesn't move, which is Christ? And then if we do all of those things, we recognize that in those things, we become followers of Jesus and followers of Jesus produce the fruit of his spirit. And then we can become world changers and unstoppable followers of Christ. We can literally become disciples. Close your eyes in this place today. Some of you in here, you are finding yourself in a a similar position to what we just talked about in that um, even as we're talking right now, Not only do you recognize that maybe something in your life isn't right. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying that maybe you've committed to Jesus, but you haven't necessarily committed to the journey of Jesus. And that lack of commitment has caused you to be frustrated in your spiritual walk because you never can feel like you quite accomplished what you're setting out for. But right now and in this moment, there's a tug on your heart. And the Lord is pulling you and drawing you close to him right now in this moment just like we talk about in John 15 he's choosing you right now he's drawing you in so that you can make a commitment today to make pursue the person of Christ and the journey of Christ if that's you today would you just raise your hand I want to commit to Jesus I want to follow him God bless you hands are going up once you put up you can put them down I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. You're saying, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. If you raise your hand or if you didn't, we're going to pray this prayer together. The whole church is going to pray it. And if you mean it in your heart, you're saved. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs make me clean, make me pure, and make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you resurrected. And through your life, and through your death, and through your resurrection, I can receive grace, I can receive mercy. So I want to follow you the rest of my life. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Church, put your hands together for all those. I'm going to pray that for the very first time, even on live stream, we celebrate with you. Thank you. And So here's the idea. And we're going to say a prayer in just a minute um, over a few of the others. But here's the idea is that number one, if you prayed that prayer, if you received Jesus, make sure you lock into a church home. Make sure you, if you're going to be here with us, join a small group. Come to Growth Track. Let's get you kicked off on the journey that's going to set the stage for the rest of your life. All right, church? Here's what I want to do before we uh, before the ushers come and before we get ready to take up the offering. How many guys would say that this message is right where I'm at? Like, I'm following Christ. I believe that I've committed to him, and I believe that I've committed to the journey. But, man, I need to plug into the power. I need to maintain the faith, the discipline, and the peace of Jesus in my life so that I can bear the fruit that others will see. How many guys would say that's where I'm at right now? Here's what I do. I want to pray for you. If you bow your heads one more time. Father, I just pray over every person in this house today. God, that as we commit to you, God, as we've committed to the person of Christ, becoming more like you, your righteousness and your character. God, we also commit to the journey of Christ. God, that struggle, pain may come. God, but... You are gonna be our rock in the midst of the storm. You are gonna be our peace. You are gonna be our strength. We lean on you today and we thank you. God, I pray that you grant that peace. God, I pray that you just release joy in this house. God, that's not circumstantial, but God that would resurrect inside of people, the passion and the love in their hearts that only you can bring. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.